Well, I have to tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists, partially because it is the highest awarded topical brand in all of Colorado that prioritizes quality and consistency. Escape Artists produces these creams that help penetrate for deep muscle tissue discomfort that's fast absorbing. It does a wonderful job on me whenever I have hard workouts, whether that be in the weight room or on a longer run and my legs are feeling it. My favorite part about Escape Artists is that it's not greasy. It doesn't stain my clothes or my sheets, nothing like that. And I can also find them at my local light shade dispensary. That's super easy for me. There's 11 now in the Denver metro area. They've got a great selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flower, edibles, tinctures, accessories, so much more. And now you can actually get 25% off non-sale items right now when you use code DNVR. You can shop online at lightshade.com for your pickup or just visit a light shade location near you. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now you can use code DNVR at sign up to get some super special offers like how a simple $5 bet can win you a $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch no matter what. It's that easy with DraftKings Sportsbook. And it's that easy when you use code DNVR at sign up. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons. And on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we do have a nice conversation with Drew Goodman, the man who is now called three different 3,000 hits. Of course, none of them are for the Colorado Rockies, but nevertheless, that's a pretty unique company that he is in. He talks about that experience. We break down Ryan Feltner's start on Wednesday. As you're listening to this, you want to know a little bit more about this young man out of Ohio State, and we've got a bit of that breakdown. We also hear Goody's thoughts on all the scuttlebutt from umpires to Yankees fans, and you will probably hear at the end our thoughts on Airman Marquez and what we thought would happen going into Tuesday's game. But what did happen in Tuesday's game was the Rockies lost again for the second time in a row, their second two-game losing streak. They did lose last Wednesday on the getaway day at Coors Field and game one on Saturday in Detroit. We know that losing streak lasted all of about five hours. They'll have to wait longer than that to possibly snap this skid. They lose on Tuesday night, 10 to three at Citizens Bank Park. They'll actually have to win the next two games in order to avoid their first series loss of the year. You'll recall they've won four of their five series and they've split one, that four game set with the Chicago Cubs. Now, Herman Marquez going into this game, you know, we really thought that he was going to break out or at least begin to show those flashes of what you can expect from him around midseason form, right? Uh, in the conversation with Goodman, he and I kind of talk about, hey, you know what? Kyle Freeland did it on Monday night, throwing 100 pitches. Now is about the time where we're starting to see pitchers get comfortable and, and be in that opening day type form because of that shortened spring training. Now they are just kind of feeling themselves the way they would normally on April 1st. Well, not the case for Herman Marquez, unfortunately. He does go 3.2 innings pitched or three and two-thirds innings pitched. He couldn't finish the fourth inning. Gave up four there, left runners on second and third. Chassin did get the final out to ensure more damage wasn't done. Does give up seven runs. Four of them were earned, all three from that third inning excuse me, 
all three from that second inning were unearned. We'll break that down here in just a second. Give up seven hits, only one walk, but only one strikeout. That is actually quite rare. It's only the fourth time that Marquez in, I believe, 128 starts that he's made as a big leaguer, all with the Rockies. Only the fourth time he's recorded only one strikeout in a start. Three of those four outings have actually come in the last year. May 4th against the Giants. That was a home game. That was the first game of a doubleheader, I believe. And then September 7th last year against the Nationals. Uh, That one was uh, also at home, I believe. Three of those four games overall have come on the road. So I'm wrong there somewhere. Uh, One of those games was on the road. I think it was actually the Giants game on May 4th. There was a Giants doubleheader some some point last year, uh, but uh, it was not the May 4th one. So kind of a weird statistical anomaly to look at. And, you know, that's that's something that I think is going to be a story for Herman Marquez going forward. Uh, It's something that I know I've talked to a couple people about and are, are working on and uh, I usually don't like talking about the, the articles I'm writing. I just want to get them out there to you to read rather than try to get credit for them ahead of time uh, and let you know that I'm working on them. But bottom line is, who is Herman Marquez? Who Who is he? Is he the guy that can go out there and, and throw a no-hitter uh, anytime he has the ball? Yes, most certainly. He's also the guy that you know you saw what he did tonight. And you say, hmm, that's, that's a shame. Again, only four earned runs, but still more earned runs than innings pitched. And right now the Rockies need and want him to become more of that no-hit guy. He's not going to be able to do that, of course, on every single start. He can't do that consistently. But in order to be a true ace and not just the staff ace, he is going to need to have many, many fewer of these kind of duds, whether it's at home or on the road. Now he throws 80 pitches, only 54 for strikes, six ground outs, three fly outs, just didn't have his normal command. We saw that in the third where Schwarber walked with one out, an error by McMahon, his third in two games. Very strange. Very strange. Uh, It seems to be a common theme there in Philadelphia with third baseman. Coincidentally, it was on an Alec Baum hit to McMahon, and so Baum ends up reaching base, gets the second there. Uh, second and third runners, uh, you had Didi Gregorius with the RBI single. You get a ground out at second, which seems good. Maybe you can escape with uh, just one run on the board, but a wild pitch and a throwing error by catcher Dom Nunez, all on the same play, scores two runs, which means all three of those runs were unearned. And you could really begin to see the body language of Herman Marquez start to change a little bit. He was frustrated, did settle down in the third inning, but in the fourth, more runs, this time all earned. JT Realmuto leads off with a single. Steals second base, actually the second stolen base allowed by Dom Nunez or by the Rockies altogether in this game. Harper stole one earlier. So in fact, all three of the stolen bases that the Rockies have given up this year, which is still, I believe, tied for the least amount in all of baseball. It was certainly the least going into today with just one, that being Willie Castro. That might be something I have to hang my hat on if I can remember every single player that stole a base against the Rockies. It's easy right now because it's all happened, you know, like in the last four days. But all three stolen bases are against Dom Nunez. Again, two in this game. 
Finally got an out. Marquez did there in the fourth with Riamuto on second base. He gets Schwarber to fly out. Then Alec Baum again, another thorn in the Rockies' side. RBI single, gets a second out on a ground ball. And then Odubel Herrera, who's had really good numbers in his career against Herman Marquez, has an RBI double to right. Mound visit does not straighten things out. RBI single by Segura, double by Reese Hoskins, chases Herman Marquez for the night. And so disappointing. Uh, tip of the cap to Susie, who, if you followed the DraftKings breakdown, DNVR Rockies on our account there on Twitter, at DNVR underscore Rockies, the over-under was eight. It was an even eight. She decided to take the over despite the fact, and she mentioned this despite the fact that we expected her men to really break out and do some things. Nevertheless, you know, she nailed that. It was the over 13 runs scored here tonight. Julius Chassin came in next. He finished off the fourth for Marquez, had a good fifth inning in the sixth. Four pitch walk to Gregorius. Can't do that. And then Odubel Herrera, homers. It's 9 1 at that point. Gets two outs in a row. Then Bryce Harper doubles. That ends Chassin's night. Uh, Justin Lawrence gives up a single. And, and that run does go towards Chassin. So he gives up three runs in an inning and a third of work. After that, though, Justin Lawrence looked really filthy there in the seventh. Struck out Schwarber and Odubel Herrera on three pitches. Keep your eye out for something by Pitching Ninja. You got to expect that to happen. I think Justin Lawrence has already been featured on one, but looked amazing. I mean, Herrera nearly got plunked on the back foot with one of those sliders that Lawrence threw on, on a strike three. So uh, that was uh, an excellent, excellent performance from Justin Lawrence. Lucas Gilbreth, great to see. One, two, three inning with two strikeouts. Second scoreless outing in as many days. Really, really good to see him back on track. The offense, well, it was mostly Charlie Blackman. It was almost all Charlie Blackman until the Rockies were able to push a run across home plate in the ninth inning, but Chuck nasty homers twice, both solo shots to right field. The first one went up into the second deck. It's actually his 13th multi Homer game of his career. 10th time homering at citizens bank park. Most all time by a Rocky actually joins Larry Walker as the only other Rockies player to ever hit 10 or more homers in the same stadium. That is not the NL West, because we know you've got many, many, many opportunities doing that. Larry Walker, as a member of the Rockies, did hit at least 10 home runs. I forget what his number was. Maybe it was 11. 11 home runs at Bush Stadium, the old Bush Stadium, not the new one that the Cardinals playing, but the, the original Bush Stadium from the 90s and early 2000s. He was the first to ever do that there. In the ninth, if you care to know how the Rockies got that third run, Ryan McMahon walked to open the bases, or excuse me, Ryan McMahon walked to open the frame. It was his third walk of the night. First time with three bases on balls in his career so far. I was surprised to find that when I dug through good old baseball reference in Stathead. Brendan Rodgers then got hit by a pitch, I think. They reviewed it. They didn't overturn it. It didn't look like it hit him. I think Rodgers thought it hit him. He, he must have felt something, a piece of thread, not sure. His reaction was was pretty quick, quick right there. Uh, but nevertheless, you had runners on first and second with no outs. A wild pitch moves them up. Jose Iglesias doubles to score McMahon, but for some reason, 
Brendan Rodgers did not score from second base on the double. I did not see exactly what happened. I know he got a bad read on it somehow, but I have never seen or never known a runner on second base when a player has hit a double to not score. That's quite strange. Quite strange. We know Rodgers is is scuffling right now just a little bit. So uh, you got to hope that he can figure it out here at some point. Connor Joe comes up with two outs there in the ninth. Had another opportunity to extend his hit streak to 13 games, but unfortunately he came up short. Randall Gritchick also, 10-game hit streak, came up short. Those two streaks came to an end on Tuesday night. Connor Joes was tied for the longest with Jose Ramirez at 13 games. Gritchick's was tied for fourth longest active hitting streak in all of baseball. And now both of those two, boom, off the board altogether. Should also be noted that Chris Bryant was scratched from the original lineup with lower back soreness. Sam Hilliard took his spot in the starting lineup. He went to center field, Gritchick moved to right, and Connor Joe went to left field to fill in for Bryant. So we hope that KB23 can feel a little bit better for these final two games of the series. They're going to come quick. Wednesday night, then the 11.05 day game. We got post-game shows for both of those on Wednesday as well as Thursday before we get into another little homestand. Three games against the Reds, off day on Monday, and three against Juan Soto's Washington Nationals. That's exciting. That that will make up for the Reds series because I'm not sure what's what's exciting right now about the Cincinnati Reds. We'll figure it out at some point. I think we will. Joey Votto is always interesting, always good to watch. But other than that, we'll have to look at the pitching matchups to see if if some of the good younger pitchers for the Reds will be going there for Cincy. I know most of you are going to the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax and York. Make sure you check out our events page on the DNVR.com. If you're not a member, you're missing out on so much like price breaks for Broncos tailgates, Nuggets party bus, Avs party bus, and yes, a Rockies takeover. Had a very nice conversation today about some plans we've got coming up in the near future this season about some, some fun stuff. When it comes to the Colorado Rockies, whether they're winning or losing, we are going to have a lot of fun at the DNVR bar. And if you're a member, you get a member-sized beer. You get extra raffle tickets at all of the watch parties. You get access to our members-only Discord. Again, that's only 50 cents for your first month at the DNVR. And if you're ready to go all in and whenever that, that point comes for you, your annual membership, when you're ready to go that route, it comes with a free shirt from DNVR Locker. Any of our Rocky stuff, anything new that we drop, even if it's a Nuggets shirt, we had two drop recently in the past month, you can get that with your annual membership. And when you're down at the DNVR bar and you want to get yourself one of those member-sized beers, make it an Avalanche Ale. It's a classic American amber that blends pale chocolate and caramel malts in a well-rounded, flavorful beer. Avalanche Ale has caramel malts that lends whispers of toffee sweetness with just a touch of bittering hops that gives this beer such a clean finish. It's been crafted for balance, so you know it's versatile. It's a satisfying anytime beer. I'm talking Breckenridge Brewery's Avalanche Ale. I'm also talking about the NBA playoffs, despite what might be going down for the Nuggets. NBA playoffs is still going to go on with or without the Denver Nuggets, unfortunately. But you don't have to worry about that because you can actually still get in on the action 
With DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. All you got to do is use code DNVR to bet those $5. And guess what? If you're looking to get on the action, another way they got same game parlays where you combine multiple get multiple bets from the same game for bigger payouts. Get this. Each day, there are some risk-free bets that you can make on top of all of that. And it, it's really wonderful. Check that out again. Whether or not you use code DNVR, you can tap into some serious, serious deals over there at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR because when you do, a $5 bet on any NBA team to win their game is going to get you $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700. Now, coming up here, you're going to hear very shortly our conversation with Mr. Drew Goodman, the voice of the Colorado Rockies for AT&T Sportsnet, the host of the Drew Goodman podcast. And we go through a little bit about maybe what we can expect from Ryan Feltner, who's making his third career start on Wednesday night against lefty Ranger Suarez. We break into Feltner's resurgence this season among a bevy of other topics that I mentioned at the start of the show. Umpires, Yankees fans, 3,000 hits, Ryan Feltner, you name it. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Drew Goodman. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's, uh, you know what? It's actually sunny out right now. I just got back from running and... Um, it was cloudy, and the weather forecast for later, quite frankly, is not great. But right now, they could play. Uh, they could play all they wanted. It's beautiful out. So, so, who's the person that makes the phone calls to get them down to the ballpark a couple hours early to get it in? Is is there somebody in charge of that? Yeah, that's me. Um, and I'm going through the process right now. Of uh, first, I'm calling the Philadelphia guys, and then I'll I'll get around to the Rockies guys and see if we can round everybody up and play in like 45 minutes. There you go. All right. Stay tuned. I yeah. do want to ask you actually where where you go running in in Philadelphia. That that was one of Susie's questions uh, for that because she, she's from the Philly area. Like, where's where's is there a good spot? I know there's not like a, a river necessarily. Yeah, there's most definitely a, there. Uh, you're a Jersey boy. There's most definitely a, a river, the Schuylkill River. Schuylkill, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can spell it I, I, to back up that I, I'm aware of it, but it's yeah. not that close to the the uh, like Center City though, right? Um, it's probably, you know, I, honestly, I typically do the famous run. I run down, uh, you know, Ben Franklin over the stairs of the art museum made famous by, in the Rocky movie, right? And they have a statue at the bottom to the right. Uh, I run up those stairs. I run over the backside and, and there's a trail over there. And then it goes past all the, the rowing houses of Penn and Drexel, et cetera. And uh, I run along the 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 Schuylkill, and then turn around and come on back. It's actually, forget, a good I, run. It's one of my favorite runs in uh, in the league. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I forget yeah. how close that stuff is situated there. I ran the Philadelphia Marathon, so I should have you someone. Love that dude. Yeah. But when you when you do those races, you're you're just following the person that's in front of you. You don't know. You don't necessarily know where you're at. What so. do you mean you're following the person in front of you? I thought you told me you won the Philadelphia Marathon. Was that fiction? Uh, there's somebody who paces the lead bike is what I mean. Oh, that's right. 
I just needed a clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, what did you run the Philly Marathon in? Do you remember time? Um, yeah, actually, I think that was my my PR for maybe like three hours twenty four minutes. So Dude, that's good. Good for good. you, bud. Good yeah. for you. I mean that that's that's a while's a while's away uh, ago. So we'll yeah, I can get back to that at some point. Mm -hmm. In the Masters division, maybe I'm not I'm not sure where the age brackets are now. That's that's uh, that's a nice uh, that's cooking, man. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about. I don't know if you. This is a bit of trivia. You may know it. You may not. Uh, how many broadcasters that you know of have called three, three thousand hit games? Because I can think of one, and I'm talking to him right now. Yeah, the um, it's pretty neat. Patrick, pretty cool. I mean, and I'm not saying that this is what what's about to come out of my mouth is not bullshit, false modesty stuff. I don't pay attention. I'm aware of that, okay? But I'm not like, I've never been, hey, I've done, you know, 5,000 games in a row or, or streaks, which are, and I and I probably, this is going to come out wrong because, you know, to some of my brethren, that's really important. But, you know, I wrote this in the, in the book that I did a couple of years ago. And I, I, boy, I hope this comes out right. But, um, you know, when they get ready to throw dirt on my ass, I'm not going to be lamenting the game I missed at Dodger Stadium or, you know, at City Field. I am so privileged, so thankful to do what I do. I love what I do. But, you know, my legacy is about my three boys. And so I've never paid attention to, oh, you're one of, you know, this many people that have done that. I have no idea. I was, you know, I'm always thrilled to be a small part of whatever happens that given evening. Um, I had a couple people, friends of mine, reach out. Man, that's really cool. You got to call his 3,000th hit. And absolutely it is to be there. I actually went on Thursday when they were playing the Yankees because, I, you know, it's neat to, to witness history. Um, but my call, uh, you know, the, the probably the four most monumental baseball moments, at least that I could think of, was, you know, Bonds, controversial as it may be, hitting his 715th against the Rockies, Byung Young Kim, dead center field um, at, uh, they called it Pac Bell, I think, back then. And then Biggio's 3,000th, Ichiro's 3,000th, which I know you're referencing, and then the other day with, with McMiggies. And my call's not attached to that because we're the visiting team, as it should be. It's the home home television call, the home radio call. So long-winded answer, as you know, I, I can get long-winded. I have, I have no idea. Um, I'm, I was thrilled to be there and, you know, it's, uh, it, it was neat. Yeah, no, I think that's cool. I, I think history like that, you, you need databases. Like you, you need a, a website to go to. I don't know that anyone's actually tracking those kind of things, but you know, it's it's pretty darn rare because a lot of it could be coincidental. You know, only so many teams have had guys who've done it. Thirty-three in the in the history of baseball, and uh, we know with Miguel Cabrera having done it. Now the Rockies are are tied with uh, a franchise that goes back a hundred years in the Washington Senators and Minnesota Twins, and so. Uh, it's just a cool, cool piece of history, you know, for, for people yeah. to acknowledge. It, it is. And I, I don't take it lightly. And I certainly don't want what I just said to, to appear in that way. It's just that, you know, this was an accomplishment, you know, of Miguel Cabrera's and, you know, to, to be witness to it was really cool. And, 
you know, to see it unfold, you know, to, uh, I guess, make the call. But again, it's not my call. It's, it's the Detroit guys calls. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if I remember right, I, it was pretty simple. I said, there, I said, there it is, you know, I, uh, number 3000. And then I just laid out because, you know, I always believed that pictures on television and, and the, the natural sound or nat sound, as we call it in the business, that is going to be far more meaningful and profound than anything, you know, gobbledygook that's going to come out of my mouth. And we can put the period on it afterward with, you know, he's now one of seven with 3,500. He's one of three with 3,500 homers and a 300 plus batting average with, with Mays and Aaron, as you well know, Patrick, and, and he's soon going to enter a really exclusive group because his next double will give him 600 doubles also, which is a lesser known, uh, I guess, milestone that he is, imminently about to eclipse so yeah i mean really cool really really cool to be there it's why we all love the game and why it's a shared adoration of the game and and yes there's competition going on and the rockies want to win the game but i don't think anybody was disappointed on the rocky side to see it happen and you know sensatella wanted to get him out i'll share a quick story with you um you know, Buddy had had told Senza the day before, um, which was rained out. He said, "Listen, you know, if he gets you know his, his the next hit, the three thousand, they're going to stop the game for a while. So be aware of that naturally, and and you know, probably throw the baseball a little bit, stay loose, and, and that sort of thing. Stay focused." And Senza looked at Buddy, and, and the look was if to say, "He, you know, he ain't getting that three thousandth off of me." And as it turned out, you know, clearly he did. Um, interesting also, Senza is from Venezuela. Um, I was talking to Elias Diaz the next day, and Elias is also from Venezuela. The Rockies have five Venezuelan players, which is tied for the most in baseball, six on their 40-man roster, if you include uh, a big leaguer soon-to-be in Ezekiel Tovar. And it, it's really important to those guys. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is larger than life in a baseball crazy society. Baseball's number one, as Elias told me down there. Soccer is number two. And basketball, he said, would probably be number three. Um, but, you know, it was it was a big, it was definitely um, a, a big deal. And uh, I think made a, a little bit more special when you see the reaction that you got from his very dear friend, Jose, um, you know, when he came, when he came over, um, Iglesias, they live very close to each other in Miami. And he said, he wanted to be the first one to, uh, you know, to, to celebrate with him. And it, it's an opponent, but it worked out well because Iglesias took the throw from the outfield and immediately sprinted over and gave him a bear hug. And you can tell it was more than just, you know, two guys that, that played together. They're, they're extremely close. Yeah, but it was just such a great moment. I didn't know that about the doubles. Uh, I figured that Sensatella probably wouldn't want to be a part of history. You know, now that he is, that's that's kind of neat because uh, this is the first time a, a foreign-born player who's gotten his 3,000th hit uh, got it off of his countrymen. So I think that's kind of a, a fun little historic wrinkle. Yeah, I mean, Patrick, real quick, if I, if I said this, I was having this discussion with somebody, I think it was just yesterday, 
you're always going to be attached to a moment like that if you are the pitcher, right? And I think the greatest, and correct me if I'm wrong on this or if you disagree, but um, the, the greatest pitcher attachment to a hitter milestone in the history of the game, well, there's two that come to mind. It's kind of interesting now. I'm just going, you know, freewheeling here. Is Al Downing giving up 715 to Henry Aaron? And I think many baseball people know hey, who gave up the 715, you know, number 715 for, for Henry Aaron. And they'll say Al Downing of the Dodgers. And so Al Downing's known for that. What many people may not realize, Al Downing had a hell of a career. Al Downing was a really good major league starting pitcher, but he's always going to be associated at, as, you know, the guy that gave up 715. And the other one that comes to mind, another guy that had a, had a really good career, and, and that is the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson off of Ralph Branca. That was the one that came to my mind first. Yeah. And, and so you always, Ralph Branca, oh, he's the guy that gave up Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world. Well, what kind of pitcher was Ralph Frank? I don't know, but he gave up Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world. Ralph Frank was a real good pitcher. Yeah, so. and those two guys were were linked together. I know. I I think there was a, a book about it. Perhaps uh, Bobby Thompson, you know, was was very kind and generous and said, "Hey, actually, let's make this about both of us." And yeah. so those guys together. I think I might even have a, a photograph from one of the times I went up to Cooperstown that was signed. You know, the image of it, you know, like they have in the newspaper with the dotted line showing the ball, its trajectory going over the left field fence that was signed by both Branca and Bobby Thompson. So uh, you're right there. That, that is one of those things. Would Probably wouldn't put a 3,000th hit on that level because it's it's one of 33 on that. So I, I'm sure people will remember Antonio Senzatello more for his his career than than this achievement here at this point. Was there Was there anything that, like, stood out that made this 3,000th hit uh, you, you know, different than maybe some of the other ones or, or unique wrinkles or or just something that you enjoyed most uh, about it. Like you said, Iglesias being the first one over there who ran over, that was that was also really cool about it. Well, that stands out because it was a human moment. It was a mutual respect moment. It was this moment is bigger than the, the competition that's unfolding because it was the first inning, right? And... Going back to Thursday, as it should be, every time he came up against the Yankees, the crowd stood. They stood, they applauded. It was simultaneously honoring him for all that he has been uh, throughout his career, 15 great years in Detroit, Triple Crown. And it was also, we want to be standing uh, so we can really lose it when he produces that hit. And uh, it was funny being there in late in the ball game when Aaron Boone did the absolute right baseball thing and walk him. You had a lefty on deck in Austin Meadows. You have a lefty on the mound. First base is unoccupied. It's a one-run game. The Yankees are desperately trying to win it. And, you know, it, it, it worked out and it backfired. It worked out and then he, Austin Meadows got jammed, but the ball fell and it turned into a two-run double and, and the crowd vociferously booed 
Aaron Boone as any crowd would, but from a baseball standpoint, it was the absolute right thing to do. It was not in any way trying to diminish, uh, you know, the moment and, and, you know, the crowd having the opportunity to witness this great historic moment. Yeah, I think AJ Hinch said exactly that too. You know, yeah, I get it. That that was that was the right call as a manager, and it really helped that. Hey, Detroit's gonna be home for three more games. You know, if that wasn't the case, then ooh, you know, it's it's kind of similar. It, it goes back to the Clayton Kershaw thing with him being lifted with the perfect game, and you go, well, you know, there's the moment, and then there's there's the season, then there's the bigger picture, and um, sometimes those two things can get get lost. Blake Snell in the World Series there in 2020, but. Uh, I, I think you know Boone did did what he needed to do, and and, and all's well that ends well. So, uh, I, Aaron, I yeah, I mean Aaron, right? Aaron Boone's paid by the New York Yankees to win games. Yeah. Aaron Boone's paid to manage his team and to make moves that will give them the best opportunity to be successful, and that's all he was doing there. And if anybody knows Aaron Boone at all, Aaron Boone's as classy and as good a guy as the game has. So, and somebody that grew up in the game, three generations of Boons have played at the major league level. Believe me, he knows the history. He respects the history. Uh, he said as much after. And, you know, you, yeah, if you're a, a Tiger fan that was there Thursday and, and couldn't be there Saturday afternoon, disappointing. Uh, but that's the nature of, you know, of sport and buying tickets, there is no guarantee that, you know, you're going to go and, and things are going to unfold and it's going to be serendipitous that, you know, yep, day I bought the, the ticket, you know, my hero produced uh, that moment. I, I think the counter argument to the Boone thing that some people would say that I, I understand, but as you point out, Aaron Boone is the manager of, of the Yankees, his goal is to win games. People would say, yeah, but, you know, he's like an ambassador of the game of baseball. You know, what's good for the game? Like, that needs to be considered. Ambassador of the game of baseball is not in his contract. It's not in his duties. So, you're right. He's trying to win games. In the process, you know, he is an ambassador. He is a representative. He is going to do all those things. But in that moment, bottom line, you you got to win one of those early April games. Okay, so, well, yeah, the same argument then with Montgomery, who started for the Yankees, is it his responsibility as 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 part of this very small fraternity of major league uh, players to throw him a cookie over the middle of the plate? No, yeah, the I, I agree. The yeah. Great achievement of three thousand hits is that they came while somebody was sixty feet six inches away, trying desperately to get you out, and three thousand times over twenty years, whomever the pitcher was couldn't get you out with the best fielders in the world uh, behind them. That's that's what greatness is about. That's what achievement's about. Yeah, speaking of greatness, got to shout out our buddies over at Green Mountain Dental Group. They are, are leaving Rockies fans, Nuggets, Avs, you name it, with pearly white smiles all around Denver. That's all thanks to Green Mountain Dental Group. Best part right now is when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam with them going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group located just 15 minutes from downtown Denver. Then you go, want to grab a bite to eat? Well, you can go to any of Sexy Pizza's four locations in Denver, Capitol Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park, and Park Hill. Why? Well, they've got hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. That's the difference between them 
and the other guys. Sexy Pizza is as legit as it gets. You had him probably at the Broncos tailgate if you haven't gone there already on your own. It gets the seal of approval from me. I'm a snob. I'm a pizza snob from New Jersey. So you know what? Sexy Pizza gets the job done and then some. You can also go to their about page at www.sexy.pizza and you can go to their donations link to actually find out how Sexy Pizza can support your local cause because they love giving back to the community. They also have a location now down in Trinidad, Colorado. That's Sexy Pizza, www.sexy.pizza. Get yours today. A gentleman who, I don't know if he, he should have pizza before a start, but uh, maybe he'll be doing that Tuesday night. Ryan Feltner. A young man that, uh, because of the rain out on Friday, you had Sensatella and Gomber stacked up there. And so you're going to need someone to to step in there because Sensatella's not going to go on three days rest. He threw his normal uh, batch of pitches, if you will. Um, We still don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. If they'll switch the order up between Gomber and Sensatella, probably won't happen. Uh, But nevertheless, on Wednesday, you got Ryan Feltner making his third career start against the Philadelphia Phillies. He's looked really good so far down in AAA. That's exciting. And if you go back to spring training, Patrick, and you were down there for quite a while, when the question about starting pitching depth arose with Buddy, the first name he always mentioned, I mean, I, I know it's been easy for folks who write every day about the Rockies to always go, well, Peter Lambert, you know, he's going to be one of the next guys up because he's coming off Tommy John, and we saw him in the big leagues a couple of years ago, and he's one of the, you know, better prospects a couple of years ago. And, you know, Ryan Rollison, who was a former number one pick, those are going to be the first two guys to add depth. But if you listen to Buddy, which we do because his input is far more important than whatever we may think, it's always been – Ryan Feltner. Ryan Feltner is number one. And that's not to uh, slight the other two guys who are injured right now, quite frankly. Uh, But even if they were not, stuff-wise, Ryan Feltner has the best stuff. And his fastball has seen an uptick at Albuquerque. And I know you've talked about this, Patrick. He's touched 100 miles an hour. This is a starter. This is not a guy coming out of the pen who's going to let it all hang out for 15 to 20 pitches. This is a starter that's been working in the you know upper 90s at times. So we saw him briefly last year. Anybody for me that has a sub four ERA pitching a few ball games in the Pacific Coast League and specifically Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is also at altitude, great facility uh, there. But you know it, it's hard to not have a, a big ERA. That's pretty impressive. What does he have? A, a, a three something right now, Patrick? You know better than I do. Is it what is it? Three fifty or three twenty? Something like that. After three, three or four three starts. Three point one zero. Three point one zero. I mean, you know, that's man. Two ERA. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, oh my gosh, this guy's throwing the ball like Gibson in '68. I don't want to. I'm not getting carried away. Okay, but it, it's nice to see he's earned that opportunity. I'm excited to see it. We all know who follow the Rockies closely. You need to have more than five. And Chad Cool's been just lights out so far. Wow. Maybe maybe the best Rocky story along with Connor Joe in the early going, right? Yeah. So, you know, 
maybe this guy, he, he, listen, he's, he hadn't been up yet. I mean, he was up briefly last year. Uh, but if he can add legitimate quality depth in that rotation, that's a that's a nice boon for the Rockies. So I'm really looking forward to watching him throw the baseball. Tough park to throw in, tough lineup to go against. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I like that the Rockies had him you know, in the clubhouse on, on Monday so he can kind of get acclimated for a couple days. We, we talked about this on the podcast on, on Sunday. Like, hey, it actually lines up really well. He made the start Friday, struck out 10 batters there. And so you're right, the uptick in that fastball has been, been really, really nice. Uh, he's looked, you know, really solid. And, you know, last year we, we got to see him, but he made the jump from double A. I think a lot of people might forget that is that really, I, I think the last guy before that might have been Eddie Butler back with the, the, the Tulsa Driller days. Like that was like the last guy that made the jump from double A up to the majors. And so, you know, you saw that a little bit uh, with his, his first start against Atlanta. And then his second start was in Philadelphia. So you kind of like that idea that, hey, I've been here before, literally in this ballpark. He's been with the team now uh, for a couple of days. So he'll be a little bit more comfortable, I think, than, than normal. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he's going to do on, on Wednesday and going forward because we know there's a couple doubleheaders coming up you know, in San Diego uh, with the schedule that got you know, thrown around and, and whatnot. So uh, this, this probably won't be the last time we end up seeing Ryan Feltner as well this season. No. And, again, you're, you're going to need depth. We know that. I mean, it's very unusual. I think, uh, Patrick, the last time the Rockies just kept rolling their rotation um, through – you know, five plus months was back in 09 when I don't think they needed a sixth starter or really much beyond that until September. They just kept rolling the rotation, knock on wood. They had great health that year and they had really good success. And, you know, you could probably make the argument in 2009 that 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 was the most gifted Rockies team. The one that went the furthest we all know was was 2007. But, you know, the 09 and and 2010 team that that stumbled down the stretch, unfortunately, in the final two weeks, those those top to bottom may have been the best Rockies team, but that rotation stayed intact. Typically, you're going to need a bunch. It's one of the reasons that you know Los Angeles, speaking of the Dodgers, every year is so well thought of. Not just their fantastic lineup um, and the number of headline pitchers that they've had, especially last year when they had you know Bueller, Kershaw, and Scherzer. Uh, Urias, but they have depth. I mean, and and that's what is always mentioned that, yeah, a guy goes down and there's another guy can step in that's really, really talented. And and the good teams, the truly good teams are, are going to have that. The teams that win, you know, 88 plus are going to have that kind of depth. I'm guessing if you didn't watch the Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, you probably saw a couple highlights there. Cal Schwarber, I mean, we're in Philadelphia, so we might as well talk about it. Uh, does MLB have an issue with umpires in regards to maybe a uh, less than comprehensive, you know, system for grading umpires and and working on that? We see what the NFL and, and the NBA does with their their training and their their scrutinization. Every play in the NFL, you know, gets gets a grade on it. Is that something that MLB maybe should should look to improve upon. Yeah, it's kind of the, it, it, there's a little bit of gray area for me as I understand it. I know they're graded every day, especially the home plate umpire balls and strikes. They get they get a 
a grade the next day. And I, I believe it's either late that night or the very next morning and, and they can review it. But the question really is, does it have any effect in terms of games that they work? And I would think particularly in the postseason, right. or does it seem to be a round robin that, Hey, yep. It's, you know, you haven't worked the divisional series in a couple of years. Now you're going to get a divisional series. Uh, and they, you know, the umpire have a union just like the, the players have a union. I I think like, and this is natural that, you know, the best should be when, especially when it gets to the postseason, should be on merit working those games. And, you know, I don't know Angel Hernandez. I've met him, uh, you know, a couple of times. I remember working out in this same weight room with him. It was opening day and uh, I think the Rockies opened in, Chicago one year against the Cubs many years ago and you know he's uh he, he stays really fit and we're in the weight room and he was a very you know really nice guy um he's always kind of you know uh, I I guess been thought of as not the best ball and strike umpire and can be you know combative at times uh with players you know, I'll just leave it at that because I, you know, the, these are things that you've witnessed and, and I'm just kind of regurgitating things. The the interesting thing about the tirade the other night of Kyle Schwarber, who's one of the best people in baseball. I mean, he was just got so frustrated. It was, and that was great tirade, man. In fact, it was. I'm gonna go, I, I didn't get a chance to catch up with him yesterday. I, I spoke with him a couple of times when they were in Denver last week, but I'm going to go up to him and give, you know, give him a high five from the standpoint of go, that was epic. Right. But, um, he was saying it's not just about me it's you know the zone has been bad on both sides and you can just read you know his, as he was pan, well, you know pantomiming in in grand fashion and yeah that way and, and and he pointed to the other dugout he said i'm not just saying it's about the phillies tonight it's about both sides and craig council basically said as much after the ball game that it was a big zone both ways I don't know what Major League Baseball does going forward, but I think it's the same in the NFL. There are crews in the NFL that throw, you know, like 30%, 40% more flags than some other crews. I'd prefer to watch the game officiated by the crews that leave some things for the gray area and say, I don't have, nobody came to watch you throw flags. And I know it's hard trying to see if a 98 mile an hour fastball moving, you know, shaved a corner or not, not easy. And, and, and I, but I still believe I said this last night, somebody was giving me shit on Twitter because I'm still against robo umpires because the most important defensive position on the field is catching. There's an art to catching. There's an art to, you know, stealing strikes. Um, but uh, I still think on merit, you want the best people, especially when it comes to the postseason. That's that seems obvious to me. It does. There, there are a couple of really good uh, accounts on Twitter. You, you may have seen them before. Um, that the do that they look at umpiring in, in different ways. There's umpire auditor. He's got sixty-seven thousand followers. Uh, actually, threw up a statistic that Angel Hernandez on, on that game on on Sunday night, Phillies Brewers, lowest rated umpire on that day, missed nineteen calls. You know, was still correct 85%, which you go, actually, that's pretty darn good, but 19 calls can be a lot. And again, where, where uh, in 
the game did these these come like in critical moments. So that's important. Ump scorecards, which I think is the newer of the two, 220 followers on Twitter. Uh, they actually break it down to an overall factor for one team over another, basically saying, hey, if you call this uh, a ball versus a strike, okay, well, now the, the percent might go up for on-base percentage, keep the inning going, then what happens after that, and actually can weigh it a little bit saying, hey, the calls ended up favoring this team, or these were the three calls that were that shifted, let's say, the win percentage the most. Not a ton, but still – you know, uh, a three-two pitch. You know, with, with the bases loaded. Hey, if you that's called a strike with two outs, that ends the inning. Cool. If it's a ball, that's one extra run, keeps it going. So one pitch can you know shift things either way. It's interesting seeing it from those perspectives. Yeah, Patrick. They rate it to embellish what you're saying. They rate it two ways. They rate your scorecard on accuracy and consistency. And there are a lot of guys I've seen. You know, a ton of guys rate over ninety-five percent. Um, on both, I've I've seen ninety eight percent in terms of accuracy and and also consistency of what the strike zone is. And he was, you know, if you're below ninety, that's you know not good. And they had him at eighty eight percent on both the other night in the Sunday night affair, the one nothing game that Milwaukee beat Philadelphia. Yeah, it's interesting how. You just shift 5% from 95 to 90%. You're like, oh, that doesn't seem like that much. It's the same thing. You know, a batting average of 270 versus 170. You go, ah, you know, that's that's 10% right there. Uh, that's actually a big difference. We're talking below the Mendoza line there. So it's important. Yeah, I mean, if, if you got a one, it's the old swing pitch, the 1-1 one, one pitch. If it goes to 2-1, and one, the batting average is, is going to be about 200 points higher than if all of a sudden you're, you're battling a 1-2 count. It's huge. It's it huge. Yeah. Another thing that came out from Sunday, uh, curious of your thoughts. The scene there at Yankee Stadium was not a pretty one. We, we know that in the Northeast, uh, even in the, uh, well, not Southwest, but in Southern California, fans can be incredibly passionate for their teams, and you don't want to discourage that. But there is a line, and you know those Yankee fans that were involved in it, not all of them, but the ones that were involved in it were throwing things on the field. You, you absolutely cannot do that. That, from those fans, was classless. Oh, it's, it, it, it's simple, and it could happen anywhere. You don't want to paint with a broad brush and say all Yankees fans are that way. Of course they're not. Uh, but you have to identify, and in this day and age, with you know everybody carrying a camera around, you can identify who those fans are, and they're banned for good. They should be. I mean... The, Somebody was telling me that when you're throwing something from the stands, God forbid you actually hit somebody. I mean, if you hit him in the wrong place, I mean, I don't want to get overreact, but it's wrong. You're not, what are you doing? So those people need to be banned. And if people around said, hey, yeah, I saw this guy, they should, it should be their civic duty to say, yeah, was this dude over here? Can't do that. Yeah, John Boy did a breakdown. Well, that, that's not even a de- debate. Well, hey, what side of the issue you're on? It's a criminal act. Cannot throw an object that could hurt somebody. That that to me is simple. Yeah, yeah. John Boy, uh, in his breakdown, you know, he's a Yankee fan too, and he, you know, he chastised those people rightfully so. But 
you go and you examine the, the film, there were people that were sitting in the front row. A man was there with his daughter and was like shielding her from it because again, for every bottle, let's say that landed on the field, how many people were, you know, 20 rows back going, oh, I, I can make this throw and we're throwing things and we're hitting people in the back of the head. Like it's, it's nonsensical. No, it's criminal. Yeah. It's criminal. And, and, and there's, there's, there's nothing to discuss there, but it, it can happen in any ballpark. Um, it, it, and you can say, oh, well, you know, that's what happens sometimes when people overindulge. Well, you're responsible for yourself no matter what you do. So if you did overindulge and did something um, ridiculously foolish and criminal, there's a price to be paid. Yeah. That's how line. I look at that. I agree with you on that. Will in our chat is asking about a certain high school shortstop prospect from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Any updates on our, uh, well, he's, he's not my buddy. I mean, he's your buddy and he's your buddy's kid, Jackson holiday. I mean, he's, uh, obviously coming into the season was a top 10, certainly a first round pick kind of guy. We know the Rockies have the 10th pick overall. Again, what happens in front of them, they have no control over, but, uh, Jackson holiday, you know, still going out there and, and, and doing his thing so far this season uh, out in Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, we'll do a little more research as we get closer and, and talk to, people on the amateur scouting side and get a better feel for what, you know, you know, what they believe Jackson holiday is and what he will be. And uh, listen, I, I, I know he's going to be a hard worker. He's, he's got good bloodlines with Matt. Um, I think many Rockies fans remember the stories that we would tell on the air about Jackson and even showing some video of it when he was two years old, swinging the bat and had unbelievable hand-eye coordination as a little a little, tiny little guy in the clubhouse after victories. And, you know, here he is one of the top talents uh, for this year's draft. It's, it's really cool to see. I do think he's going to sign. I don't think he's going to go to Oklahoma state and, and play for his uncle and in Josh and his, his dad, who's on the staff as a volunteer assistant. I don't think Matt needs the money from, uh, from Oklahoma state and his granddad is in, in, involved there as well. I think he's going to sign. His, uh, you know, there's four holiday kids. The, the next one is Ethan, and Ethan's even more physical than Jackson. And we'll be talking about Ethan, uh, you know, in a year or two as well for the for the draft. But it's it's a great story. I'm happy for the holiday family from Matt and Leslie. And uh, where, wherever Jackson goes, you, you know, you wish him well. The Rockies under Billy Schmidt uh, historically have done a, a, a superb job in drafting offensive talent uh, they really you know pitching's gone a little more sketchy uh, but they've really done a, a very good job in in drafting uh you know position player talent yeah one other question here from matthew in the chat is it concerning that chris bryant hasn't hit a home run i would say no uh i wouldn't say we're in the early going so much that oh you know give it some time all right you know hey we're in 16 games but uh, if you're if you're doing your research there, in even even in the small sample size, home runs have been down across baseball. There haven't been you know very many at, as normal. I mean, it was only a couple of days ago Randall Gritchick was sitting there with no home runs. Now he's got two in back to back games. So I'm not concerned. But to your point, Matthew, hey, it's something to just keep your eye on. But it wouldn't surprise me if we were sitting here a week from today and Chris Bryant has himself four home runs. Home run hitters, guys, and he's a hit. He's a he's a he wouldn't call himself a, a home run hitter. He's a guy that's a good hitter that has power, 
and sometimes it comes in bunches. I've seen that from from you know every guy that produces a, a good number of home runs. They they can have one, and then you look in a week and they have seven. Um, so I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. He started out early on. He was getting hits all the time. He snapped, I believe, an 0 for 16 late last night with a with a clean single uh, to left field. He's going to hit his share of home runs. Coors Field takes away a lot of home runs. You know, here's something interesting. Last year, I think uh, you probably haven't. I'm trying to remember what score he ended up with. 23, 26 home runs, whatever he had. Had he played at Yankee Stadium, he would have had close to 40 home runs. And, it was 48. I think it was something. It was, it was something yeah, it was a big, yeah, it was a big number. And actually the fewest home runs of, if you look at, launch angle and exit velocity um, of all the balls he hit last year the place where he would hit the fewest home runs was Coors Field and a lot of people do not realize that so Chris Bryant should hit for a higher average at Coors Field his doubles should go up I don't necessarily know if his home runs will go up given that he is playing in a really big ballpark and yeah I know the ball flies farther because it's altitude um, you made a very good point, Patrick. This year is not. We'll find out more about the baseball as the season unfolds. Everybody's using a humidor. But this is not unusual where home runs are down in April because there's so many cold weather games uh, in the month of April. When things truly warm up and, and we're sitting here and you and I are, are, are doing our thing on this podcast in, in late July, you know, let, let's see where he is. But I think there's going to be more doubles for Chris Bryant. There may not necessarily be more home runs than he's hit in the past, but you just want him to be, you know, the tough out he's always been, the formidable offensive player sitting there in the three hole, you know, most days, and um, and, and that's that's what I would concern myself with, uh, you know, more than anything when it comes to Bryant. Yeah, he's much more of a doubles machine. It's funny because for being such a big guy, six foot four. He's got an easy swing and, you know, ball flies off his bat, but he, he doesn't hit those tape measure shots. I think we've even talked about that before. He's not a guy that goes 440 on the regular, like someone like, you know, CJ Crone. So it, it's going to be more of the doubles and, and there might be those home run droughts, but again, batting 281 right now, you know, he's, he's contributing and doing his part at the top of the lineup. Well, if you overlay his, I think it's 63 home runs the last three years. If you overlay him at Coors Field, the number's 28. I had not seen that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of those would be, you know, doubles and, um, and, th and that's not a knock on, on Chris Bryant. It just is a, a fact that a lot of people don't acknowledge or quite frankly, don't do their homework on and just how big Coors Field is, you know, especially when you're talking about extreme left center field and even extreme right center field. So, um, I, I'm not worried about Chris Bryant right now. We're worried about the game tonight. Let's just briefly touch on the matchup. Herman Marquez versus Zach Eflin. This is Herman's first game pitching away from Coors Field. He did face the Phillies last week. Six innings pitched, eight hits, four runs, all earned. Two walks, five strikeouts, three home runs. Castellanos, Camargo, bomb. He's looking to get himself you know, back on track. Not that he's been that far off. But I, I think anytime Herman goes down to sea level, he's he's really looking to carve up some hitters. 
Yeah, I'd like to see some more swing and miss with his slider. The strikeout rate is down for Herman through the first, you know, three starts. We've talked about it ad nauseum. You've talked about it, uh, even when I'm not here, that there's a, you know, a ramp up for starting pitchers that had to take place during the regular season that ordinarily would have taken place in the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. And with the shortened spring training, you know, starters weren't working as long the first, you know, two, three starts. Uh, you know, we had some unevenness in terms of numbers. There was the dead arm period, which we always talk about, you know, usually second, third week of March that, that probably affected starters into the start of this regular season in particular. So I'd like to see Hermans get some more swings and misses, which is, is typical of him, especially with his breaking stuff. And, you know, and really hopefully string together some dominant starts like we've seen so many times in, in the past. One of the things that's been great about this 10 and 6 start for Colorado is the strength of the club is their, on papers, their rotation. And they haven't really had, uh, you know, a, a great number of starts where you go, boy, that was wonderful. Chad Cool's been lights out. And he's had, his first one was a little bit shorter, but his last two, terrific. Herman had the great start against the Dodgers in game two of the season. And that, oh, and Gomber, I don't want to forget Gomber in Detroit. He was marvelous. That They've had four starts where you go, man, really, really good. Freeland's been okay. You know, last night he deserved a better fate. The Rockies played. You want to get all the, you know, if you're going to have a crappy game on defense, get them all out of the way in one game. And the Rockies will Rockies were horrendous defensively yesterday. You're going to have those every once in a great while. Hopefully it's just a great while and not, you know, semi-frequently. But I, I think that rotation hopefully will get in a groove here in the not too distant future. And, you know, you had it with Gomber, then you had it with Cool. Freeland, you know, I thought was solid last night. He ended up with seven strikeouts, certainly deserved a better fade. As we said, defensively, the Rockies, you know, didn't help him out at all. And, uh, you know, and then Herman and, and, and gets Senza where, you know, he's kind of been off to a slow start. You know, he's going to give up hits, but he's given up way too many hits so far um, and, and, and get that rotation on a roll. So I look at the 10 and six mark with the rotation just being OK thus far as, as a really good sign. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Freeland also hit the 100 pitch mark last night. So kind of as you alluded to there with spring training, guys are really now starting to get themselves into certainly not mid-season form, but that regular season form. And uh, I think we'll see that from Marquez tonight. His last time out, uh, last September in Philadelphia, six innings pitch, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts. So I think we'll probably see something similar to that again tonight uh, from Armand. Yeah, I hope so. And, and you know, this is a good lineup. You know that, Patrick. And, and I know they've underachieved a little bit so far. But when you have to navigate, you know, Harper and Castellano, Gene Segura, let's not forget, I mean, Gene Segura is a good offensive player, uh, you know, and and Reese Hoskins is going to give you a good at bat. Alec Bohm at the bottom of the lineup has been, you know, been productive, but, you know, Schwarber, I know the average isn't pretty, but, you know, he can hit one over the stadium and, and Castellano, it's just a good lineup and, and it's a veteran lineup. And I said this on the air last night, you don't want to be around when they start, putting a hot streak together because they're going to put up, they're going to put up some big numbers. Uh, when Herman's been on, he can shut down any team in any ballpark 
And to your point, he did it a year ago here, and hopefully he's able to do that tonight. Do you realize that the Rockies have had only one losing streak this year? That, of course, was Wednesday and then the first game on, on Saturday. So they've had one two-game losing streak. And that lasted all five hours because they won game two. So technically speaking, I don't, I don't think they've had a true, true losing streak yet. yet, uh, yet. And so uh, that, we'll see if they can kind of stave off a little bit because if they lose tonight, it, it's going to be at least a day. It won't be five hours uh, until they snap the skid. So uh, I think that – Winning series and you know preventing these long losing streaks, I think that's that's a sign of a winner. And, and you know, you, hey, you can't win a pennant in April, but you can certainly lose one. And uh, you know, the Rockies are are solid, so it'll be fun to see what they do tonight. Yeah, and let's not lose sight of this, Patrick. That uh, and again, I know you've touched on this. That last year they didn't win their fourth road game until May the thirtieth. They were awful on the road. I mean, it was pathetic, and they were much better in, in the second half, particularly the last thirty. They went. 15 and 15 out on the road. Now they've won four out of six on the road for the Rockies to be a postseason team. They have to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 uh, on the road and, and then win, you know, obviously far more than they lose at Coors field as they did last year, even though last year, you know, wasn't by any stretch a, a good year. They won only 74 games, but that's, that's how the math has to work. And small sample size, but, you know, they've won four out of six. Honestly, if, if you can leave Philadelphia with a split, you say that's good. And then they, they'd go home and, and they'd have won, you know, four games out of a seven-game road trip and, and you go back home. So, yeah, that's, uh, th- that's another element of this start that you like. They've been, they've been much better on the road, uh, more competitive on the road. And uh, hopefully the bats bounce back and the defense bounces back tonight. That's right. Make sure you are downloading and subscribing to Drew Goodman podcast, which drop is, drops every Thursday. You got your, your uh, guest yet? I know it's we're in the final hours here, so you're probably getting close to having that interview, or maybe you've already had it. I beat you to it. Actually, I was going to do it today, Patrick, because I lined this up over the weekend, but we ended up taping it yesterday. Christopher John Crone. CJ Crone, Christopher John Crone will uh, will be joining me this week. Uh, Connor Joe still, uh, you know, they all stay up there in perpetuity. Uh, but uh, it was great, great visiting with Connor Joe last week. The greatest Rocky of them all, as my partner um, says every night. By by the way, how far did he hit that ball last night? Unbelievable! First pitch of the game, bang! Greatest Rocky of them all. I got Spilly was like, you know beside himself was awesome uh but yeah i was gonna say in the clip uh that that i saw i think it was rocks gifts vids where the last thing you hear before it it, the video stops is ugh, like he just makes a yuck sound just because he hit the ball so far and you just hear (laughs) his reaction to that like ugh, he's so good yeah yeah he's awesome man he's awesome and uh but yeah cj crone baseball family uh, found a home in colorado off to a terrific start. Uh, CJ will be uh, will be on the show this week. Man, I'm telling you, if, if they're on the Drew Goodman podcast, they're about to have a very good week. And I hope CJ so. has had nothing but good weeks so far already. So April Player of the Month, I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of wait and see what happens. They got a couple more games against Cincinnati. That might be the right uh, team to 
help boost those stats a little bit more for Christopher John. We'll see. Yeah, hope you know, hope there's hope there's good karma there on on the old uh, on the old podcast. Drew Goodman bump. That's what it is. Follow him on Twitter at Drew Goodman forty two. We are at dnvr underscore rockies i'm at patrick d lions and also make sure you're following at the Susie hunter she'll be back tomorrow with us this has been great it's been wonderful but you know what they say about momentum it's only as good as tomorrow's podcast talk to you then